If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the book of Galatians, the New Testament book of Galatians. One verse of scripture that we want to focus our attention on today, although there'll be others that we will be examining. But in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians and verse 18, today's message is the third in our series of following the theme of if, if. And what we're doing is looking at verses of scripture throughout the New Testament and Old Testament as well that begin with the word if and then using that to focus our attention on for a few moments. Uh, The first one had to do with the devil's temptation of the Lord when out in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted, the devil came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God. Now remember that the word if can also be translated since. So he was saying, since you are the son of God. And if you're familiar with the passage, you'll know that prior to that, our Lord had been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit had come upon him and the voice of God saying of Jesus, this is my son of whom I'm well pleased. And so then in the temptation, Jesus is saying, or the devil is saying to Jesus, since you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread is the temptation. We just all of that. The second one had to do from a passage of scripture out of the book of James, where it said, if you claim to be religious, and we explored the difference between being religious and being a Christian. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at another passage of scripture that begins with the word if, and it's found in the book of Galatians, chapter five and verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Or we could say also accurately, since you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. And by under the law or not being under the law, of course, he means that we are not dependent upon the law for our salvation. The law does not save us. It cannot save us. It is powerless to do so. So we are not saved by keeping the laws of God. If we keep the laws of God, it is because we are saved. We are saved by the grace of God through faith and that not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in this passage of scripture, he is saying that if we are led by the Holy Spirit, since we are led by the Holy Spirit, then we're no longer under the law. Now throughout the Bible, we are told that God through the Holy Spirit will lead us. There's a a special passage of scripture over in the New Testament, uh, Old Testament, that you're very familiar with. It's the 23rd Psalm. You remember the first two or three verses of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still water. Now notice the two personal pronouns in that last verse. He and me. And he and me are connected by the word leads. He leads me by the still waters. So the Holy Spirit does not drive or force a sheep. I don't know a whole lot about sheep and what little I do know is what I've learned by reading about them. But I am told and read where shepherds 
do not drive the sheep like they're cattle. You can't, you can't lead sheep that way. You can't lead them by driving them, by forcing them. They will only follow the shepherd. And Jesus reminds us in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John that the sheep recognizes his voice and they will not follow other shepherds. Uh, just an unusual, unique gift that God has instilled in all of the sheep. By some unique way, they have the ability to identify the voice of their shepherd and will only follow him. There may be other shepherds who will try to entice them to lead them, but they will not respond to him. They only recognize the voice of the shepherd who is their shepherd and they will follow him. Now, a shepherd will not drive, he will not force, he will not coerce. Uh, he will not intimidate the sheep to do that. He will lead his sheep. Throughout the scriptures, we are told that we are the sheep of the Lord and that Christ is our good shepherd, our chief shepherd, and our great shepherd. And so he leads us. To be led by the Holy Spirit is the equivalent of walking in the Spirit because if you were to go on and read the rest of Galatians 5, verses 19 and so forth, he talks about walking in the Spirit. So to be led by the Spirit means that we walk in the Spirit and consequently uh, there are some positive uh, results that, re, that uh, end up in glorifying the Lord. Now, if you have your outline with you this morning in your bulletin, you can follow along as we work through this idea of being led by the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that I want to emphasize for you is that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Every believer. No exceptions to this. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, in essence, what happened to you was that the Holy Spirit came into your life, came into your heart, and took up a permanent residence. You're only saved once. You don't have to be saved multiple times. Now, you'll be filling with the Spirit many times, but you're saved only once. Just how many times were you born physically? To become your parent's child one time, physically. And you are permanently their child. The DNA that makes up you what you are says that you belong to your mom and your dad. And that will never change. Never change. You cannot change the DNA that identifies you as being the child of your parent. And what's true physically is also true spiritually. You do have a spiritual DNA, if you please. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and he stays there permanently. You don't ever have, once you've been saved and once you've invited Jesus into your heart, you don't have to ask him to come in again because he's already there. You may not realize it. You may not yield yourself to him, but he's there. And he's there for the purpose of dwelling within you and leading you. Now take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to the New Testament book of Romans. The New Testament book of Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. I love the book of Romans. It is the chapter of security. It begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. And in between, there's always the filling of the Spirit. And so in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, I want to point some things out to you. Let's read it through first, and then I'll back up and show you something. Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now in verses 9, 10, and 11, four times, four times Paul says, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He dwells in you. Look at it in verse 9. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells where? In you. In you. Look at it in verse 10. If Christ is in where? You. If Christ is in you, look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in who? You. And then in verse 13, he goes on to say, uh, the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells where? In you. So four times Paul says the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he reminds us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So when you were saved and when you, when you repented of your sins and you turned to Jesus Christ and, and you invited him into your heart, the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus in the Spirit, took up residence, permanent residence in your heart. And he dwells in you. And the scripture is very clear over in the book of Romans. He says, if you're led by the spirit, it is an indication that you are a child of God. So if, if you don't allow, or if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you, uh, it's an indication that you've never known him and that you're not a child of the Lord. How do you know that you are a Christian? Because the Holy Spirit lives within you and he leads you. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Notice the second thing. The Holy Spirit desires to lead every person. And I go to the book of James for this verse of scripture, James chapter four and verse five. It says, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. What that verse of scripture literally means is that the Holy Spirit is jealous of anyone or anything else who tries to influence you or to lead you in any other way other than the way the Holy Spirit desires. Now, if you have the King James Version of the Bible, the word leads or desires, I should say, the word desires is the word lust. And you say, well, how? I thought the word lust was an evil word. No, it depends on how it's used, the content and context and how it is used. It can be used in an evil way when you lust after someone uh, to, to have a sexual relationship with them or, or you lust after what somebody else has because they're wealthy or influential or whatever it may be. So yes, the word lust can also be used in an evil way. But it's an amoral word. And by that I mean it depends on how you use it to decide whether it's evil or whether it's good. In using it a good way is to translate it as desires. One translation of the New Testament in James chapter 4 verse 5 says that he yearns to dwell in you and to lead you. So to say that the Holy Spirit desires, it is his desire to lead you in all of these things. Well, where will the Holy Spirit lead you? Well, I want these are not on, on your outlines, but let me suggest several ways that the, the Holy Spirit will lead you. Uh, the Holy Spirit will lead you in paths of righteousness. Go back to Psalm 23, uh, that he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
So he will always lead you in the right path. The Hebrew phrase is he leads me in the right path. And leads means that he goes out front, that he's the one who directs us. He's the one who gives us the directions. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, not roads, but paths. Only mountain tracks, not easy to find. And when found, not easy to keep uh, on the path. He's talking about leading the sheep. He leads them in a path. Paths of righteousness simply means in the right path. Well, how do you know what the right path is? Look for the shepherd. The shepherd will be on the right path. Follow him. Don't follow the world. Don't follow somebody else that tries to lead you away from the Lord. Look at where Jesus is. Keep your eyes on him. Focus on him. Follow him. He is on the right path. And you can't go wrong when you follow Jesus and do what he says. So he'll lead you in the paths that are right, paths of righteousness. Secondly, he will lead you the path of peace. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 79, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied about the coming Messiah. And he said, among other things, that when the Messiah comes, he will lead you in the paths of peace. He will lead you in the way of peace. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the, the Holy Spirit will lead us in the paths of righteousness. He will lead us in the path of peace. And thirdly, he will lead us in the path of truth. The path of truth. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of truth, and that's what he teaches us, and that's how he leads us. He leads us in the paths of truth. You'll notice in the New Testament that the Christian life is depicted as a journey. It's always talking about walking or running or following in the steps, or going in the way. In fact, in the book of Acts, Christians were not called Christians at the beginning. They were called people of the way. And when you read in the book of Acts, you remember Saul before he was converted on the road to Damascus. Uh, his name was Saul, and then after he was converted, his name was changed to Paul. But Saul was a devout Jew. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He persecuted the church. He went to the Sanhedrin in order to get permission to go down to Damascus so that he could persecute the Christians. But the Bible says in the book of Acts, should he find anyone of the way, W-A-Y. So Christians in the early days were known as people of the way who walked the way of Christ, who followed the way of Christ. And so the Christian life is always described as a journey of progressing and moving and walking and running and following in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not meant to be the same today that you were yesterday. You were supposed to have moved forward and, and, and to grow in, and mature in your faith by following the Lord. When Christopher Columbus was on his voyage, which ended up in discovering the area that we now refer to as America. He kept a logbook, and the logbook of his ship contained entries of exciting events. Maybe a storm occurred or something else eventful happened, and he would record it in the logbook. Over, however, again and again, you'll find, so I'm told, when you look at the logbook that Christopher Columbus kept, most of the time he wrote these words, Today, we sailed on. 
And it is repeated over and over and over again. Today, we sailed on. Today, today we sailed on. Today, we sailed on. Over and over, never standing still, never staying in the same spot, not knowing particularly where they were going, but looking for the new world. Today, we sailed on. You know, that's the way it is with the Christian life. Every day, we move forward. We don't sit still. We don't stand still. We're constantly moving forward under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and the Holy Spirit desires and lusts and yearns to be your leader he doesn't want you to stay where you are to move toward maturity in your Christian life. Notice a third thing. The Holy Spirit will reveal his leadership to every believer. You say, well, I don't know where I want to go. Don't know where the Lord wants me to go. He'll show you if you will allow him to. How does the Holy Spirit, well, I want you to take your Bibles again. This time turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. This time, Psalm 25, a very important verse of scripture. I need you to look at it for just a moment. Psalm 25. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, and verse 9. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, and 9. Now notice in Psalm 25, 4 and 5. This is a prayer that the psalmist makes to the Lord. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Now notice, the psalmist is praying, Lord, show me. Show me what way you want me to go. Lord, teach me your paths. Help me to recognize them. Teach me to do Lead me in the path of truth. So pray this prayer. You know, one of the practices, I don't know if you do it or not, but a good practice is for you to take a verse of scripture and pray it back to the Father. Pray it back to God. And if you were to do that, then, then you would, it would make it personal like this. Oh Lord, I desire to know your ways. Please show me your ways. Lord, I yearn to, to know what path you want me to travel. I, I need you to teach me, so teach me your paths. Uh, Lord, lead me in truth. I'm surrounded by people who, who don't believe in you and who lie, and, and I, I know that you are the truth, and I need you to help me. So, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in truth and teach it to me. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation, and I wait upon you every day. And so what he's saying every day, the psalmist would pray this, Lord, this is a new day. I don't know what's going to happen. I know I've got to do certain things. I've got a schedule to follow. But even with that, Lord, I need you. Show me the way that you want me to go. Lord, teach me the path that you want me to walk down. Lord, lead me in truth. Now, to whom will he do this? To whom will the Lord show his ways? To whom will the Lord teach his paths? To whom will the Lord lead in truth? Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his ways. So what he's saying is, if you come to God with a puffed up with pride and arrogance, you're going to do it your own way, you're going to be your own God and your own master and control your own life, then you can forget it. It's not going to happen. 
You must humble yourself before the Lord. Peter tells us this in his epistle, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up uh, in accordance to his will at the proper time. But you humble yourself. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. Not the weak, but the meek. Those, those, those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize spiritually they are, they are, they are, uh, are, are beggars. Uh, they are in poverty. Uh, there's nothing about me spiritually of my own accord that can meet the requirements of God. I must humble myself before the Lord. And if I will humble myself before the Lord, then he will lift me up and he will show me his ways and teach me his truths and, and guide me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So verse nine says, you must humble yourself. And he uses the word humble twice. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his ways. But then notice in verse 10, he goes on to say, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. So in addition to being humble, you must be obedient to his teachings. And what are the teachings and the covenants? His laws. We're not saved by his laws, but we are saved to keep them. We're to follow the Lord's teachings. And if I will humble myself and be committed to doing the will of the Lord, he will show me. He will teach me. He will lead me. He desires to do so. So how does he do this? Well, quickly, let me suggest several ways. He will do it through the reading and the studying of his word. That's, that's why I urge you time and time again to spend time in God's word. Read it. Study it, memorize it, hide it in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You will never discover it apart from the reading and the studying of God's holy word. This contains for you what God's will is for you no matter who you are or no matter what you want to do in life. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if you want to know what God's will is, if you want him to teach you, you've got to spend time in the word. So in John 14, 26, John 14, 26 says, but the helper who is the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now notice he says in John 14, 26, he identifies the Holy Spirit as your helper. The Holy Spirit then is your helper to assist you in the ways that you should go. And he will teach you, he says, everything that I have taught you, he'll bring it to your remembrance. And so what has the Lord taught us? It's recorded in the Gospels. It's recorded in the Epistles. It's recorded in the Holy Scriptures. So you study it and you memorize it and you follow it and he will lead you through the Scriptures. Another way the Holy Spirit will lead you is through prayer. Through prayer. So if you're struggling with a decision as to what you're supposed to do, whether it's at work or family relationship or whatever it may be, then you pray about it. If it's a concern of yours, it's a concern to the Lord. And so you pray and you commit your ways to the Lord. Ask the Lord to lead you. Ask him to have his way in whatever the decision is. In Romans 8, 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So you, you have a problem, you have a concern, you have a decision that you have to make. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to express it to the Father. Tell him that. Just say to him, Lord, I, I don't know how to put this into words, but you know my heart, you know my mind, 
and you know that I'm facing with a decision and I want to make the right decision, Lord, and I need you to show me. I need you to help me. I need you to guide me that I might not make a mistake, that I might not fail to do what you want me to do. And just pray about it. Just bathe it in prayer. The Bible says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us that when we pray to the Lord, and we don't always know how to put things in sort of the right words, and, and we, we just try to utter it to the Lord, the Holy Spirit understands our hearts. He understands what's going on in our mind. And it's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to turn to the Father and say, well, Father, here's what he's trying to say. Here's what he means. The Holy Spirit will help you in your prayer life if you will give him the opportunity to do so. Other ways that the Lord can lead you and the Holy Spirit can lead you is through the counsel of a good Christian friend. Sometimes when I'm faced with a decision, I, I go to people that I know that love the Lord and follow the Lord. And they're, they're people of wisdom. And, and, and I say, what do you think about this? doesn't necessarily mean that I have to follow what they say, but, but, but I, I want to get input. It helps. More than one mind is a lot better than just one. Sometimes through circumstances, God will allow something to happen or cause something to happen in our lives. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God and that are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. There are a lot of things that happen that aren't good. But God can take even those bad things and if we allow him to and turn it over to him like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, he can put it all together and work it out in the final end results for good. And it's just a matter of trusting him to do that. And so God will work in many ways through uh, these, these ways. And of course, uh, the ultimate way, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Now remember, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians that we are all made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I have a body, you have a body. Inside this body, I live inside this body. My body is the temple of the Lord. This building is not where God, God does not live in this temple. If you are a Christian, he lives in you. So my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, you, uh, you have a body, I, this is what we see, it's, it's flesh and blood and bone. But I also have a soul. The soul is made up of the intellect, the will, and the emotion. Uh, animals even have that. Animals have uh, intellect, you can, you can teach animals, animals can be pretty smart. Uh, and, and so animals have wills. Um, animals have intellect. Uh, you can teach animals to do things. Uh, but uh, animals don't have a spirit. We do. That's what sets us apart from the rest of the world and all the animals. We have a body. We have a soul that's made up intellect, will, and emotions, um, but I also have a spirit. And my spirit enables me to communicate with God, enables me to do that. And he is saying that uh, the Holy Spirit will communicate with my spirit. And the Holy Spirit will say to my spirit, this is what the Father wants you to do. And so I, in turn, say to my soul, intellect, emotion, and will, this is what God wants you to do. My body, this is what God wants you to do. Do it. So it's kind of like a chain reaction. It starts with the Holy Spirit saying to my spirit, my saying to my soul and to my body, do it, and it's done. And it's all because I submit to and follow the leadership of the Lord. Now, the fourth thing is this. The Holy Spirit will produce 
evidence of his leadership in every believer. So what is the evidence? Well, two main things serve as the evidence to how you know that the Holy Spirit is living within in you. And the first one has to do with what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And this comes out of the book of Galatians chapter 5. If you still have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5, look at verses 22 through 25. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit is, and then he lists nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit will produce those things in your life if you will allow him to do so. And then he goes on to say, against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, be led by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, these things will be evidence in your life that he's leading you. Not only the fruit of the Spirit, but there's also the gifts of the Spirit. We don't have the time to go into all of this because it within itself is a multiple uh, subject that could be studied and taught and preached. Other than to say this, that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer at least one gift. Every Christian has at least one. Now, sometimes a Christian may have more than one, but no Christian has all of them. But every Christian has at least one, at least one. In the book of Romans, the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul lists some of the, of, of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Listen to them. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If you have the gift of prophecy, which is proclaiming according to proportions of his faith, do so. If serving, you have the gift of service. You, just, you, just, you, you help other people. You serve other people. If, uh, uh, if you have the gift of teaching, you teach. If you have the, the gift of exhorting or advising, then do so. He who gives, uh, gives, uh, if you have the gift of giving, and there are some people who do, they give liberally. Uh, they're not stingy. Uh, they don't hoard their wealth. God gives them the gift of giving, and they give lavishly and liberally. And uh, he, he who leads, he does so with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Those are just a brief list of some of the spiritual gifts. Paul talks about these also in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Every Christian has at least one. And the problem is, do, do you yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to help you to develop your spiritual gift or to produce his fruit within your life? Now, in conclusion, you'll notice at the bottom of your outline, I have put a sentence there whether we all ought to willingly surrender to and be obedient to the Holy Spirit and allow him uh, to follow him uh, and, and to trust him as, as, he, as he leads us. So let me just dwell briefly on these last three things. In order to be led by the Holy Spirit, we must willingly, willingly, willingly surrender to him. It's a voluntary thing. You can resist the Holy Spirit you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit by being stubborn and bullheaded and saying, I'm, it's my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. And there's nothing that anybody or anything else can ever make me change. 
And that kind of spirit will never be blessed by the Spirit of God. You must be willing to surrender yourself to Him. Galatians 5.18, the verse that we're focusing our attention on, literally translated means, but if you are willingly led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never coerce you, never compel you, never put pressure on you, never bullies you. He does not drive you, he leads. He never gives that now or never feeling or do this or else urging. He leads, he leads. But we must be willing to follow. Secondly, we must be obedient to him. This is not a, 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 a matter of, of, of take it or leave it. It's not optional. It's mandatory. If we are going to be led by the Spirit, we must be obedient to the Spirit of the Lord. Now let me give you an illustration here and just use your imagination with me for a moment. Let's say, imagine that you own a restaurant, okay? But your restaurant is not doing very well. In fact, it's on the verge of going under. The building is in need of repairs. On the inside, the furniture is shabby and worn. The service is slow. The food is poor. The restaurant is on the verge of going under. But then one day an expert in the restaurant business comes and he says, how about letting me take over and run this place for you and make you a successful restaurant owner? And you agree. So the new manager comes in, he cleans up the outside, he paints a new sign and makes things look great. The old furnishings are taken out and replaced with beautiful new ones. New tablecloths are placed on the tables. Competent, energetic waiters and waitresses are employed. Things are moving briskly. In the kitchen, a new award-winning shelf is preparing award-winning food. A new sign goes up on the outside saying, under new management, people are coming from everywhere to eat in the restaurant. It is wonderful when your restaurant is yielded to the control of someone who knows how to run it. You get great results this way. And you find success. And that's exactly the way it is in our new lives as Christians. To yield to the control of the Holy Spirit is to allow him to get on with the process of cleansing and changing our lives. Remember, this is not a once and for all experience. It is a continual process. The Bible says be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And the process must be a continual you want a new life, want a new restaurant, if you please, then control, turn the control of your life over to the Lord. He'll make you brand new. It'll all be under new management and it'll, be, it'll be, make a difference in your life. You'll never be the same if you'll follow him. The third thing is to trust him. Sometimes, even when you follow the Lord, things don't always turn out the way you want them to or the way that you had expected them to. But God never makes a mistake. You keep that indebtedly in your mind and in your heart. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. And he never makes a mistake. And he'll take anything that goes wrong in your life, no matter how bad it may be. And if you'll turn the control of it over to the Lord, he'll work it out for you. He'll lead you. 
and he'll guide you. Why? Because in Psalm 23 and verse 3, for he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not yours. For his. You see, you and your life and your walk with the Lord is not about you. It's all about the Lord. That what you are, what you say, and what you do is so designed to bring honor and glory to him. Not put the focus on you, but of him. For it is his namesake. And God honors his name. And he's not going to allow his name to be dragged through dirt and mud and fault and failure. He'll bring it to success. Fanny Crosby wrote, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my God? Heavenly peace, divinest Comfort here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus does all things well. Isn't that great? Jesus does everything well. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit lead you? Are you willing to surrender to him and be obedient to him no matter what and to trust him? For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8, 14. Let's bow together. A wonderful truth, Lord, that we are reminded of again as we've looked at this passage of Scripture, that it is the Holy Spirit's desire to lead us Help us to get out of the way, to lay aside selfish ambitions and be committed to doing the good and perfect and acceptable will of God, which is the reasonable thing for us to do. May we, Father, yield ourselves to you and allow you to take control, Holy Spirit, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And today, as we give this invitation, there may be someone here who's never recognized you as their Savior and Lord and the chief shepherd of their lives, they have never invited you to come in, take control. And so today, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll do your work of convicting and of convincing people that the right thing to do is to, to surrender ourselves to Jesus. May that be true of every person's life before we leave this place today. In your name, I pray. Amen. Andre is going to lead us in a time of invitation, singing, and if the Holy Spirit is leading you today to follow his will, to be saved or to unite with our church or whatever it may be, we're here today to honor and glorify him for your good and glory. Amen. Let's all stand together and you come.